This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are going to be hearing a personal story from Alexis Bruce, a mom from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who is going to be sharing about the traumatic experience she had with the birth of her son and then her experience through postpartum anxiety and OCD. So at the beginning of this episode today, I just want to put out there a sensitivity notice for those of you who had a traumatic experience with birth or are currently dealing with OCD. To gauge for yourself if this is something that you'd like to listen to now or might be better served to listen to at another time. Some of the difficult things that Alexis talks about is a placental abruption and very intense OCD symptoms. One of the things I really love about our story today with Alexis is that she's sharing what is very typical with OCD and it is the fear that the thoughts that you're having are somehow going to come true or that you're going to do something to your child. And you'll hear throughout her story that the intrusive thoughts that she was experiencing and the OCD symptoms that she was really doing everything in her power to keep her child safe, which is very common in OCD. So Alexis Bruce is sharing her story with us. She lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with her husband, Tyler, and three beautiful children, stepdaughter, Ava, and two sons, Noah and Leo. She's a stay-at-home mom turned into maternal mental health advocate after the traumatic birth of her youngest son. She was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety and OCD. Through her struggle, it became clear that there was a lack of information, education, and focus on perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, and it is her goal to help change that. She now works with Moms Mental Health Initiative, a local nonprofit group whose mission is to help moms navigate perinatal mood and anxiety disorders by sharing information, connecting them to resources, and providing peer support. So let's welcome Alexis. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Kat. Yeah. Thank you for wanting to come on and share your story. And again, you know, it's so beautiful and necessary that we hear stories and are in. I thank you so much for sharing yours because, you know, 
we go through these things and a lot of people go through things like a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. And it's just so lovely to know that you're not alone. And I know you know that now through your story and all the work that you're doing. So yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Yeah. So how about just start wherever you're comfortable with telling us your story? Sure. So I really struggled with anxiety. I think for the majority of my life, there was kind of an undertone of being anxious in college. And when I graduated college and started my first job, I did experience a spike in anxiety, but it was always very manageable. Once I had my first son, I had my first experience with intrusive thoughts. His pregnancy and delivery were a dream. And it was his second day in the hospital. And the nurses were coming in to change the bedding and they were going to turn the lights up. And so my husband said, why don't you go in the bathroom with him and just keep the lights dim so that he doesn't wake up? Well, the nurses had just ran a whirlpool bath for me and I was holding him in the bathroom and all of a sudden this thought flashed in my head that said, what if I dropped him in the bathtub? That immediately sent me into a panic. I spent the rest of the time in the hospital afraid to tell anybody what I'd experienced and constantly fighting panic attacks, thinking what is wrong with me, you know, how could I ever have this thought, just feeling very guilty and scared. Sure, right. The third day, we were getting close to going home, and I told my husband what happened, and he said, well, I think, you know, let's just talk to your doctor, and I didn't really know what was going on at that point. I think I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know what it was. No one had ever told me that intrusive thoughts were a thing, that Mm -hmm, postpartum anxiety, OCD, you know, were possible. So... I did tell my doctor. She suggested talking to somebody, and we went home. Somehow, I really credit being able to nurse Noah with what helped us bond and helped my anxiety subside because for whatever reason, when we got home, things got better. I didn't have any more intrusive thoughts. My anxiety was under control, and I thought, whatever that was, I'm glad I'm past it. But I moved on. And then I became pregnant with Leo when Noah was eight months old. He was not planned, so caused a spike in my anxiety. And I stay home with my kids. So I remember just finding out that I was pregnant and really having a hard time processing that realization Mm -hmm. because I felt like, I wasn't ready physically to be pregnant again yet, and I definitely felt like I was pushing him from the nest too soon. So that was hard for me, and I was home with him, and suddenly I started to experience intrusive thoughts again. Mm -hmm. That's early in your pregnancy with Leo? It was early in my pregnancy, correct. Looking back, I've really come to understand that the intrusive thoughts that my brain is sending me is... You know, it's saying we're stressed out, something's going on, you're not listening. Mm -hmm. So, those intrusive thoughts are the way that my brain sends those false alarms to say you need to pay attention to what's going on. But at the time, that fear is so real. Right, 
Yeah. And you, yeah. When you're experiencing those, you can't rationalize, you know, what's happening. You just have such fear. Right, right. And so I decided to be proactive and I went to talk to a therapist for a few sessions and once again, things got better. So I felt really good that I had established that relationship just in case things did get a little rocky after Leo's birth. But yeah, pregnancy progressed normally. I got to 33 weeks and two days. Mm-hmm. And I had been having a lot. I mean, he was such an active baby 11 weeks on. It was a constant dance party in there. <laughs> and <laughs> I said to my husband, I said, he is going to be different. Like he's got so much energy, like he's going to do big things. And he has not let us down. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that weekend, so Leo was born on a Tuesday, October 18th, 2017. The weekend prior, I was having a lot of what I thought were Braxton Hicks and just a lot of pressure. At my OB appointment the week before, we had talked about how these were normal things to experience. I had two pregnancies close together, and it was my second. So having some of these symptoms earlier was normal. Mm. So I didn't think that there was anything that warranted contacting my doctor. And to tell you how type A of a personality I am, (laughs) son was napping, and my oldest son was napping and I was on page six of writing notes for his grandparents who are going to take care of him while we were in the hospital delivering mm-hmm. his brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like the easiest kid to take care of, but you know, I just wanted to be prepared and this experience showed me that sometimes you don't have control over that. Mm-hmm. So while he was napping, I decided to take a shower and I was in the shower and I was having so many Braxton Hicks. I thought that's what they were. I got out of the shower and it was really uncomfortable, but I saw Noel was waking up. So I put on my bathrobe and I went in his room and I was singing to him and reached in to grab him and I felt something and I reached down and my hand was covered in blood. Oh no. So I turned and then it was just coming quickly. Mm, so gosh. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I mean, there, there are no words. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? 
laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what everyone says. Why didn't you call 911? I wasn't thinking clearly. I called my husband first. Sure. And he said, call 911. And so that's what I did. And he was thinking clearly enough to call my neighbor who came over and stood with Noah. And she said, you need to lay down. Mm-hmm. So I lay down in the middle of our hallway and waited for help to come. All I knew is that I thought he was gone. For sure. Mm, yeah, like, sure. All the worries uh, start. Oh, yeah. And mm. so the paramedics got there and they were taking my vitals. And I just remember being so frantic and asking them, you know, is my baby okay? Is my baby okay? Yeah. And they said, we can't tell you that. All we can tell you is that your vitals are good. So that is a good time for your baby. Mm-hmm. So my husband ended up getting home from work about 30 seconds before the ambulance was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And so he was able, thankfully, to come with me to the hospital. And it's hard not to get emotional. And you sure, he yeah. got to the hospital and they put the monitor on my belly and we heard his heartbeat and we both just started sobbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were in the right place and, you know, would do whatever we needed to do to get him out safely. Yeah. So the conversation was turned quickly to emergency C-section. We didn't know exactly where the bleeding was coming from. So they said that that was going to be the safest route for both me and for Leo. Mm -hmm. So they were going through that procedure was going to entail. And as they were monitoring him, they said he actually looked stable. Mm -hmm. So the conversation switched from C-section to let's see how long we can keep him in there. Okay. <laughs> so so as, can I ask just like yeah. with the frame of just for reference that how quickly is all of this happening? Sure. So I started bleeding at 12.30 p.m. and then I was at the hospital by 1.15. Okay. So everything is happening very quickly. quickly. There's not a whole lot of time to really wrap your mind around any of this and everyone's in a rush to get you safe Mm -hmm. get to the hospital and they're having to go through multiple options assess Mm -hmm. you give you some sense of what's going on or whatever I don't know what they're telling you but this is a lot to take in yeah in a very short period of time right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're completely right that, you know, up until where we are now in the story that it did move very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then it like just came to a standstill. And it was about waiting and watching and seeing if we could slow things down. When I got to the hospital, my contractions were a minute apart. And I was at three centimeters. So they wanted to see 
if I could stop progressing. And ideally, at 33 weeks, his lungs aren't ready for the world yet. So ideally, they wanted 48 hours to give him a steroid shot to help his lungs start to work. So I got a dose when I got to the hospital. Then they wanted to give me a second dose 24 hours later. And then he needed 24 hours for that to take effect. So that was our goal. Like if we can keep him in there for 48 hours, like that's going to be very helpful for him in terms of respiratory challenges. So they moved me to a regular room. No one was checking me. No one was really giving me any updates. We had no idea. Like, are we having this baby today? What's happening? Oh, so things are still up in the air? Uh Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, things are up in the air completely. So we didn't know what was happening, and no one was coming in and telling us, like, he's looking really good on the monitor, or here's an update, or we didn't have any information. Mm. Um, so the day progressed, and it was around 7 o'clock p.m., and my husband said, you know, I'm going to go home, get a change of clothes, get something to eat. By the time he got back, my contractions were getting pretty strong. I had an epidural with my first delivery, so I didn't know exactly what active labor felt like, Mm. but I had a good idea that this was it. (laughs) Right. So I started to tell the nursing staff that I was getting pretty uncomfortable. They wouldn't give me an epidural or anything until they knew that I was going to deliver for sure. So things just kept going. My husband said, I'm going to try and get some sleep. And I said, absolutely, you should. We don't know what's going to happen. And I just remember laying in the hospital bed and I was on my side and I was hanging onto the side rail of the bed and my contractions were so strong. I literally could rip that side rail right off the bed. To me, that sounds like labor. Oh, it was incredibly intense. So my husband said, I can't listen to you go through this anymore. So he got up and was trying to soothe me. And I looked at him and I said, I have to push. And so he ran out and got some of the nurses. And a nurse came in and she said, well, the doctor's delivering another baby, so I'll let him know. And I said, no, I have to push now. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I guess I'll check you. Yeah, she checked me and I was at seven centimeters and my water was right there. She said, absolutely do not push. Mm. She said, you push, this baby's going to be here. There was no one in the room from the NICU, no doctors, just that one nurse. And I have to say at this point, my anxiety was pretty high because I felt like no one was listening to me. Right. Um, Yeah. This is happening. Like, so that was scary. Sure. And so then also, you know, I had to try. As soon as I knew that he was coming, I said, can I get the epidural? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they said no. Um, oh. But So he, I'm not kidding. It was within five minutes. There was probably 12 people from the NICU team, multiple nurses. The doctor came in. He put his arms through his scrubs, and I pushed through one contraction, and Leo was born. What? Yeah. Yep. (laughs) That was it. And so now remember his lungs aren't ready to be, you know, outside of me yet. So when he was born, he let out one cry. And I remember being so relieved to hear that cry and thinking, you know, he's going to be okay. And then they took him away from me. 
obviously. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I had to listen to them trying to get him to breathe. And I remember looking at my husband and he was just crying. And I said, see him? Can you see him? And there were so many people he couldn't see him. We could just hear what was happening. And that's so um, hard. It's so hard and you feel so helpless. Right, right. You know, like, and so I needed a couple stitches. So one of the residents was doing that and I kept asking her, like, is he okay? Is he okay? And she wouldn't tell me that he was. All she would say is he's got a great team of people working on him. And, you know, that's all we know at this point. Okay. I mean, just picturing what's going on, you and your husband have been through the ringer emotionally and you have been having all of this anxiety and all of these really, really difficult, traumatizing experiences along the way. And still all of this like helplessness is there that there's nothing you can do. You're waiting and nobody's giving you any information. Or help. Or help. Yeah. It was scary on all fronts. You know, I was scared of what was happening with my body. And I was scared for my son, obviously. Sure. So it doesn't get better from there. So he was born at 2.29 a.m. And they took him right down to the NICU. He did need to be intubated. So we didn't know what was happening with him at all. And then the first nurse who came in after he was born like literally we went from having 20 people in the room to just my husband and I again alone and still not knowing anything other than that he went to the NICU correct Mm. and I remember we looked at each other and we just said what just happened right did we really just have a baby like you know it was the most surreal experience like it just didn't seem like it could be real. Um, So the first nurse who came in, she came in and she handed me a set of pump parts and she told me to start pumping. Just like that? Just like that. There was no, are you okay? There was no acknowledgement of the trauma that I had just experienced. There was just no sympathy or attention to the severity of what had happened. I think at that point, I was starting to have some feelings of, I've been through a lot, this was very stressful and traumatic, but the fact that no one was checking in with me made me feel like those feelings weren't valid. Mm, Sure, Um, that makes sense. So everyone was focusing on Leo, of course, and while I think that that is so important, I think that in circumstances like these sometimes the mom gets forgotten and so I went into survival mode for him I you know pumped 10 times a day to try and get my milk to come in I you know did everything that I could for him first time that I got to see him was about three hours after he was born Mm -hmm. and I got to see him but not really because his face was covered with tubes and medical tape and Mm. I wasn't allowed to touch him or you know see him or smell him or all the wonderful things that I got to experience with my first son I was completely robbed of that experience Mm. so the next five six months of Leo's life 
we can really fast forward through because like I said, I was in survival mode. He had a few health concerns. He turned jaundice at six weeks. So we thought that there was something wrong with his liver function. So I had to go through tests with that. Mm. Um, How long was he in the NICU? 21 days. Mm -hmm. He was in the NICU for 21 days. So all the while my husband and I are trying to balance our other children plus you know, my husband still has to work and wanting to spend as much time at the hospital as we can. Mm-hmm. So we would take shifts. It was really hard because I had wanted to breastfeed Leo and I got one chance a day to try nursing him when he was in the NICU. And I mean, he did a pretty good job latching, but for a premature baby, he needed more. So of course needed to be too right. fat. So I was just really going through the motions when he was in the hospital. And my mother-in-law is a psych nurse. And I remember her saying, like, I'm really surprised how well you're doing (laughs) Mm -hmm. after what you've been through. And I said, yeah, you know, I was too. But I was just doing what I had to do for my family and for my kids. And Leo came home. And he developed severe, severe reflux. Mm, So so hard. So hard. So hard. He had to be held upright 24 hours a day. So we had to stay up with him all night for the first two months. So my husband and I would take shifts. Mm. We would take till 2 a.m. And then I would get up at 2. And then I'm also pumping. (laughs) You know, so when it's my turn to sleep, I'm still setting an alarm to pump. So you, Um, I mean, you've not slept, really? No, not a lot. No. Not a lot. And I know I talk to so many moms who my heart just breaks for them who are dealing with, you know, postpartum insomnia. And I didn't have the insomnia problem. If I had the opportunity to sleep, I could. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just getting that good chunk of time where I could actually get some restful sleep. Mm-hmm. was a struggle and I don't know how we made it through those <laughs> first couple months. Are you a new expectant or aspiring mom? The Pure Nurture podcast is for moms just like you looking for information and inspiration to create a healthy new life for yourself and your growing baby. I'm Christy Rodriguez and I'm the host of the Pure Nurture podcast on the show I share interviews with experts, educators, and moms who focus on a natural, holistic, mind-body approach to pregnancy, birth, and postpartum health. Join us today at purenurture.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, so what kind of help or support did you have in those couple of months, whether it be from family or friends or therapy or anything like that? What was great what question? You know? So my mother-in-law was here. So she was doing a ton to help us, whether it be with Leo or with our other kids. She was amazing. My family lives a couple hours away, so they would come when they could. But my mother-in-law was the only family that we had here. Mm-hmm. And I was not at the time in therapy. There was 
no time for me to think about myself. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. So I feel like what happened with me is as soon as Leo started to get better was when I just crumbled. Mm -hmm. I think that it was almost like my brain said, okay, we don't need to worry so intensely about him anymore. And now you have to deal with everything that happened. Mm. Right. So you're just going, going, going this whole time, the first of several months of his life, just. Correct. mm -hmm. Right. So my intrusive thoughts and what I now know to be postpartum OCD came on very quickly. It was Wednesday before Memorial Day and I was had my kids out for a walk and I just remember getting close to home and having this intense anxiety about going home and I didn't want to go and I didn't want to be alone with them. And I had these fears come up like, what if I go crazy and hurt them in some way? What if I stabbed them? What if I drowned them? Like the most horrible, horrible thoughts you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to have those thoughts and I just remember I didn't want to come home. I ended up having a panic attack and I called my mom and she talked me through it. So that was the beginning. How far postpartum are you at that point? So that was when Leah was seven months old. So I knew that I wanted to talk to somebody. I knew that I wanted to start medication. I had taken Lexapro for my anxiety when I was younger. I was not on anything through either of my pregnancies Mm -hmm. um, and was stable. But I knew I had to do something. Like This was much bigger than me. So I called. I tried to make an appointment with some therapists, and I couldn't get in for three weeks was the shortest wait time. Wow. I tried to call a few psychiatrists to see if I could get in with them. And that was a five-week wait. Mm. And I was just really, really desperate. I called my primary care doctor and I was able to get in with her right away. So I went and saw her. And long story short, we said, yes, let's go ahead and start medication again. Great. As I'm sure you're familiar and some of the listeners may not be, those, any like SSRIs or, you know, they take time to work. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, it wasn't like I just started taking the medication and then I felt better right away. <laughs> um, right, right. So the therapy was really a piece that I wanted to do in conjunction with medication. I thought mm-hmm. that I had a lot that I had to process through. So it was so bad those days. Mm-hmm. I would keep my kids outside all the time because I thought that if I went crazy, hopefully one of my neighbors would hear and come save my children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't give my son's baths if I was home alone. I wouldn't use a knife at the table with them. Nothing that could be potentially dangerous. Because your OCD fear was that you would hurt them? Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And... So I didn't trust myself. Like Mm -hmm. I felt like if I go crazy, I need to do whatever I can to put these precautions into try and keep them safe. Mm -hmm. I remember it was 
so severe. My husband and I were playing outside with my oldest son. Well, Leo was napping and we had the baby monitor outside. And Leo woke up and Tyler said, why don't you go in, get Leo and bring him outside. And I didn't even feel safe coming in the house to get him from his crib. Mm. Because you would be alone with him? Correct. Mm -hmm. So I pushed myself to do that and it was agonizing. Like I, I... came in as quickly as I could and I got outside with him as quickly as I could. I was just so fearful and it was really debilitating. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I was very desperate to talk to somebody and get some sort of therapy or support group or something to help get me through that wait time until mm-hmm. I could start individual therapy. And I just started Googling for any group I could find or you name it. I ended up finding Postpartum Support International's website and saw where they had a warm line that moms could call. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I called that number and that was Friday night before Memorial Day. By Saturday morning, I had two messages. One was from a national rep and then one was from a local near me. Mm -hmm. And so that was Saturday morning. And she talked to me for about an hour and a half and was Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. That was the first time that anyone ever truly acknowledged the trauma that I had experienced and said that they were sorry for what I was going through. Mm. And so... That was the first time that I really felt like there was some hope, which was amazing. So she was wonderful and connected me. Well, she said, here are some options for you, different resources in your area that you can decide what steps you want to take next. And one was a local nonprofit group called Moms Mental Health Initiative. And I had never heard of them. And she said that they were really great, that they had a network of therapists and primary care providers, some psychiatrists who were trained in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and who had also agreed to see moms quickly. Great. um, If that's what the situation warranted. So Mm -hmm. she put me in touch with one of the founders. Her name is Sarah. And Within a half an hour of getting off the phone with Ashley, I was talking to Sarah. Awesome. And they actually got me in to see a therapist that same day. So cool. Oh, yeah. I so, love CSI for this. It is yeah, magical. No, <laughs> it is. Seriously. So we've shared my story both on our blog and then it's been picked up by PSI too because it's like the perfect example of how this chain is supposed to work. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly the purpose. Yes. So it's amazing. And so they got me in to see a therapist that same day. And then they also were able to add me to a closed Facebook group that they had. It's called Circle of Hope. And it is just filled with other local moms who have struggled with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And we just give each other peer support. So... It was amazing because 
prior to that, I felt so isolated. Mm-hmm. I felt like no one had ever experienced these horrible thoughts. To have that peer support yeah. it was amazing. What I hear in so many stories and in your story in particular is how incredibly healing and important it is for someone to just listen to you and validate your experience. Like there were so many opportunities for someone to sit and listen to you, but because of whatever reason they didn't or couldn't. And once you felt heard and understood, I mean, wow. Uh, And then how quickly you got into an adequate and appropriate support just changes Mm -hmm. everything. Everything. Yes. So I knew that I wanted to do some sort of advocacy. I was just so grateful for everything that Mom's Mental Health Initiative did for me. And I knew that I could do something with this. And I didn't know exactly. I remember saying in therapy one day, I'm going to do something with this experience. I just don't know what that looks like yet. Yeah. (laughs) I'd say I'm still figuring that out a little bit. Things have really fallen into place in a beautiful way. So I started just with doing a lot of peer support and Circle of Hope. And then it was actually through some of the moms in this group that I found the courage to continue with my treatment. I felt like therapy... And my medication, like it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to several moms who had participated in an intensive outpatient program. Mm-hmm. And they really took the fear out of that for me. Okay. And so that is what I decided to do. And awesome. I looked at it as, you know, what is the fastest way for me to get better? Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that in my mind was to just immerse myself in treatment. And so I did an outpatient program. So it was four days a week for three hours a day. And then it was completely life-changing. That's great. I think that one of the tough things with OCD is that it is a very tricky disease and that it requires a very specific therapy for treatment. So my outpatient program was completely focused on exposure response prevention. Okay. So it was in an OCD IOP? It was, yes. For the general population or for perinatal moms? For the general population. I would have loved to do it for perinatal (laughs) moms. Right. Yes, that was not an option in my area, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. But ironically, there was another mom in the group who shared my same experience, mm-hmm. had a birth, and was diagnosed with PPOCD, except for she had been dealing with it for longer than I had. So when I did the program, so like I said, I think exposure response prevention, it's extremely important to mention that because, right. thank you. Yeah. you know, with traditional talk therapy, a lot of times you will receive a lot of reassurance You know, and that is actually not what the person who has OCD needs because that actually fuels it. So when I would go to therapy and I was not receiving ERP, I would leave my sessions and I would feel amazing. 
because I was getting all this reassurance and you're going to be okay and you know you would never hurt your kids and all these things but then as soon as I would leave I would need more and more of that reassurance Mm -hmm. so I mean I would spend hours and hours googling my symptoms to you know make sure that I didn't fit the criteria for postpartum psychosis or you know just needing that constant confirmation Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Right. And exposure and response prevention is a very particular type of therapy. And the people who are providing that type of therapy need a specific training to be able to do the protocols correctly. And I just want to interject that here because I think that if you're listening and you're a mom who has OCD or who's dealing with OCD, you're looking for treatment, it is best to go to someone who has had this training and who understands how to use the protocols correctly. Because if you're not going to somebody who's trained to do it correctly, it, it might not help and it might hurt. Absolutely. It's so important. And through my experience, I have thought so many times how fortunate I am to live in an area where I do have providers who have been trained in OCD and I was able to get the right help. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely critical for me to get better. As I was going through the IOP, I was still active in Circle of Hope and was still connected with Sarah. And they reached out to me and asked me if I would be willing to share my story at one of their fundraising events. 
And I said, absolutely. I was so honored that they asked me to do that. And it actually ended up being that the event I spoke at was in the evening of my last day of IOP. So it was a great capstone to that experience. And I got so much joy from, you know, speaking and sharing my story. And I felt very empowered. Like I was taking power back. Great. That's so nice. Yeah. So that was kind of the beginning of, you know, trying to do more advocacy work. Then I just kept doing more and more. So now I have come on as the marketing and communications coordinator for Moms Mental Health Initiative. So I do social media, their blog. So I'll do a lot of posts myself and then also coordinate any moms who want to share their story and write a guest post or, you know, we always think that that's incredible. Right. Um, That's awesome. Yes. And then the quarterly newsletter. So just some basic things that I can help with to try and spread awareness. And for me personally, it has been so incredibly therapeutic um, to do that work. And I sometimes will joke because I'll write a post. Like when I wrote the post about my story, I wrote a pretty emotional post that I'll be posting next Monday, just around the anniversary of Leo's birth and the emotions that I have around that. And I'll often say that I feel like it's selfish for me to post that because my motivation is, you know, I want to write this because it's healing for me. Mm Mm-hmm to get that out in that way. And it's really been so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that they've given me the opportunity to do that. It's been amazing. So, you know, thank you for that. And it it can feel sort of, I guess, to use your word selfish, if you're doing it as part of your healing. But what we don't take into consideration is how many people it's reaching and how it's affecting them in terms of you know, being heard and seen and reflected out in the world. And it could be part of their healing, either like, oh, gosh, that happened to me. I can get healing too. Or, geez, I went through this. And it's so nice to know that I'm not alone. I just really, really do believe in that. And that's why I appreciate you sharing your story today is that I don't know who's going to hear this episode and neither do you. I do know thousands of people will hear it. But what your story is, is that is going to be supporting and helping other people. And this is how we are all connected. This is how we know we're connected is through story and through experience like this. Otherwise, if no one shared, we would have no way to know that we're not alone in this. And I think a big motivator for me as well is that I think that there's such a lack of education and information for moms on the different types of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, what those symptoms look like. And, um, you know, people had talked to me about postpartum depression. I was screened at my six-week postpartum visit with my OB with a depression screen, and I didn't flag anything because I wasn't depressed. Right. My symptoms were different. And I often say, to people, you know, you're in the hospital for three days. It's really an injustice that no one comes to talk to the mom mm-hmm. about, you know, her mental health, how she's doing, what types of things she might encounter. It is. I, yeah. remember, 
I remember going home from the hospital and I delivered at two different hospitals. And each time I went home with this gigantic folder full of resources of like mm-hmm. information, you know, not one piece of paper was in there about who I might be able to contact mm-hmm. if I needed help. Like why wasn't there information about postpartum support international or for me, you know, living in the Milwaukee area, like why wasn't there a flyer for mom's mental health initiative? Mm -hmm. I mean, these resources are available Mm -hmm. and they can help so many moms, but we just need to do more to, again, I agree, share our stories, but also just let moms know that help is there. Right, right. It's not that hard to do. No, no. (laughs) Surprisingly easy to do. And so I've just kind of been talking to anybody and everybody who will listen. And that includes, you know, pediatricians. You know, pediatricians see moms more than anyone in those first few weeks. And, you know, so my son's pediatrician has been fantastic, thankfully, in, you know, wanting to check in with moms and telling them about MMHI should they need it. And I wish that someone would have done that for me. Right. Um, right. Right. Especially with intrusive thoughts, they can be incredibly isolating because there's a fear of what's going to happen if I tell somebody I'm having these thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right. And if someone would have told me that that was a possibility, I think I would have asked for help a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I thank you for sharing that. It, this is so, so important for other people to hear. And again, just to be reflected out there. Would you like to share any additional hopeful messages for moms and families? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are a few things that, you know, if you're talking about postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, there are things like you aren't alone. You will get through this. Help is available. And I think that those are all true and important messages. But another thing that I wish that someone would have said to me is that when you are through this, you might grieve the pregnancy or the postpartum period that you thought you would have. Mm-hmm. And that is okay. Right. The feelings that you have are completely valid and they're warranted. Like, so when Mm -hmm. I started to feel, you know, got further in my recovery, I really started to resent the fact that I didn't have those special moments with Leo. I didn't get to do skin to skin. I didn't get to nurse him. I didn't, you know, everything that I envisioned happening for us didn't happen. And he's my last child. So there's a grieving process for that. And I think that that is so critical to recovery is acknowledgement of that. And then doing whatever you need to do, likely, you know, therapy or whatever other tools, but it's very important that you acknowledge those feelings and accept them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important. I really appreciate you bringing that perspective in. Right. Because people, once you're sort of better, people also want you to be kind of done and better, but (laughs) there are layers to this. And, you know, even when you do get through significant amounts of healing, stuff might still pop up on, you know, anniversaries or dates or things like that, that, you know, that 
do warrant and need additional attention, gentle loving attention. That is the perfect second point that I wanted to make, and that was be aware of your vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. So be gentle with yourself and recognize everything that you have experienced and overcome and just know that it's important to have that radical acceptance and understand that I might always be sensitive to certain things. So if feelings do arise, it's okay. I can sit with them and let them pass when they're ready, you know? And um, I think the worst thing we can do in recovery is put up our blinders and pretend like, we're completely cured and we're never going to deal with any of these things again. And that's just unfortunately not reality. So just being aware of those things. And lastly, I think this was probably the hardest thing for me to learn through this entire journey. And that was self-compassion. I think as moms or even as women, we hold ourselves to these incredibly high standards and we don't give ourselves credit or love or kindness. And for me, taking a step back and saying, you did experience trauma. You overcame a lot and you should be proud of what you got through and what you're doing with it. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, our brains are trained to give us all this negative self-talk and it's just so detrimental. And as soon as you can start to be gentle with yourself and show yourself some of that self-compassion, recovery will become easier because you'll believe that you deserve it. That's right. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah. I really hope everyone out there can hear that and take that to heart and find a way to incorporate that into their own healing journey, wherever they are there. Yeah, I thank you so much, Alexis, for coming on and sharing your story and sharing your advocacy and your passion for helping other moms. Yeah, oh my gosh, it's so incredible to be here. I can't thank you enough for the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Those are some really great hopeful messages from Alexis and help wrap up her story of sharing today. And really great reminders for all of us and all of you out there who are currently struggling. If you'd like to learn more about the organizations that Alexis talked about, Postpartum Support International is at postpartum.net. And you can also check out momsmentalhealthmke.org for Moms Mental Health Initiative. You can also find them on Facebook or email them at mmhimke at gmail. And as usual, please join us by subscribing to Mom and Mind wherever you listen to podcasts or find us at momandmind.com. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.